Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with Bill Arnold. I'm the Bill Arnold part of that sentence, and this is hour two already in front of us, and Todd Mulliken is my guest in the studio. And you know Todd, counselor, author, speaker, and recently has come out with a new book that we just didn't quite get through in its entirety last time he was here, Being Right Versus Being Liked, The Impact of Narcissism and Codependency on Couples and Families. We had a fair amount of time last time talking about narcissism, but what about what's on the other side of that coin, which is codependency? And we're going to talk about that today, and I bet you have questions, and I bet you're going to want to ask them. So here's what you do. Send a text, 877-933-2484. Maybe you are a codependent person. Uh, I think I might be, so we'll find out about me, maybe, uh, after the show. And then (laughs) we certainly want to address your questions. Let us know what they are. Again, 877-933-2484. Todd Mulliken is my guest, and you can head to Todd mullican.com to learn more about Todd during the break. And he spells his last name M-U-L-L-I-K-E-N. We'll be right back. We love hearing from Faith Radio listeners. It's easy to get in touch with us through the Faith Line. When you call 877-933-2484, listen to the greeting, and then press the number 1. Then leave a message for a show host or general manager, Neil Stavum. You can also ask a question about upcoming events, and the event coordinator will contact you. Or if you'd like information on a specific program, you can inquire about that as well, and the producer of that show or another staff person will get back to you. Another way to access program information is through MyFaithRadio.com. Look under the Programs tab for specific show information, including recent guests and topics. Again, the number for the Faith Line is 877-933-2484. That's 877-933-2484 or 877-93-FAITH. Give us a call anytime and leave a message to stay connected to Faith Radio. All right, Todd Mulliken's in studio. You know Todd. He's a regular guest, and we're always glad when he comes on the program because we learn so much. And, Todd, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Bill. All right. I want to enter the classroom. I want to learn today. So let's talk about uh, codependency and tell me what it is and help me learn exactly uh, what codependency involves. Okay. Well, I think back when we first started talking to you about these areas, I talked about people that are really good with the truth of Christ, and then there's people that are really good with the grace part of Jesus. Jesus came full of both truth and grace. So the codependents tend to land more on the grace side, where they're harmonious, they're giving, they're for others, they really want to make things go well, and they really give a lot of who they are. Are they quietly miserable, though? Right. So, yeah, early on, they're quietly miserable. Then they get louder in the second second half and get a little bit feisty. Okay. Yeah. So the the good side of that is there's lots of good characteristics of that. But codependency initially came into our field with people that lived with an alcoholic. They end up being codependent on 
the moods and the ups and downs and you know the drinking behaviors and and so codependency has really kind of gone to a lot of different directions but it's really helpful in counseling practice to just help people know for those pleasers those ones in my book that just want to be liked what are some things they get to work on too so that they are gaining more traction earlier in their story so they're not just defined by well, I wonder if that person likes me or not, or if I could just be this way, then this will go better. And I'm, I'm in God's will because I just am for others and I love others. So mm-hmm. they're they're living in the scriptures that really promote grace upon grace and, you know, turn the other cheek and all those beautiful things that are in there. But they're forgetting about some of the other parts of being truthful and, you know, sharing the truth and love and, you know, just being more authentic in terms of what are, you know, how do I address difficult conversations? So they're very vulnerable to be controlled, Bill. They're very vulnerable to take on the emotions of other people. Mm-hmm. Todd, talk about the healthy part of being liked. There's got to be a healthy side yeah, to being liked. I mean, you want to be, you want to yes. share Christ with people. You right. want people to hear about the joy. So basically you want people to like you. Well, so and Paul said, I, I became all things to all people in order to save some. Right. So, I mean, it's not like we got, okay, we got to just start walking around by, you know, being more direct more often. No, it's just, (laughs) it's just more that pleasers tend to go the other side where, hey, your house is on fire. And they go, well, you know, it could be worse, right? No, well, you know, or, you know, your spouse is really being hurtful to the children. And yeah, but I want to just make sure we have an aligned home and, you know, maybe God will work this out over time. No, I mean, in the moment, there's something not good happening right here. So it's okay to, we get to address that mess. Mm-hmm. Even so, if it's going to blow it up. Even if it's going to be difficult. So the the good things they bring, the beautiful parts, is that they, they do adjust in situations to really be for other people. But unfortunately, they can take it too far where they're not also being honest about difficult situations. They t- mm-hmm. So they tend to avoid conflict, pacify, uh, and they tend to, at least they can develop Christians, you know, that my, like myself, sometimes we can be conflict avoidant because, you know, conflicts are bad or, you know, Satan's in the water more for disagreeing, you know, versus, you know, God, when I read the scriptures, there's just a lot of conflicts. I mean, in Jesus's time, a lot of difficult conversations our Lord had to have. So they struggle with having difficult conversations. Mm-hmm. They're more apt to avoid it. What about when you're thinking, well, this person is just in maybe a difficult time of their life and I need to cut them grace and just give them slack and try to be as agreeable as I can. And then all of a sudden it just kind of turns into this is how life works though. Yes, you said it so well. I've had countless situations where, hey, I know my my spouse grew up in a a lot of abuse, and so out of that abuse now they really want to control things so they don't get locked into a closet early in their life where they Mm. were abused emotionally or something, and their sibling was really hard on them and, you know, tossed them in a closet when they were upset. So I know my spouse had that difficult upbringing, just hypothetical, you know. So because they had that difficult upbringing, I want to make sure that, you know, I just agree all the time because they had it really hard growing up. But a lot of times what happens is that person who isn't treating that difficult part from their own life, they're just taking it out on the family. Now they're controlling the whole family because they don't want to be put in that closet anymore. Does that make sense? It so does. Instead of just so that spouse gets to say, hey, you know, I know that was really hard for you, but right now today I'm just feeling sad by how you're treating me and I'm not okay with that. Mm-hmm. And if they short circuit and they dysregulate and they get stuck in their own stuff, that's 
The pleaser says, I did it wrong because they got so upset. I hurt them again. See what I'm doing, Todd? It's wrong. I'm hurting them by addressing a difficult situation. So the pleaser needs to change that mindset and say, hey, my intention wasn't to hurt. I'm just being honest and I want to, I love this person still. I'm for them. I'm for their past and how difficult that was. So I have empathy for that. But I do, I'm not okay with how you're treating our son right now. Or Mm. I'm not okay with the words you just shared yesterday. And that doesn't always go well. No, but that's the main. You, are you have a pleaser? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just saying because uh, that's what I think as a more of a pleaser type too, right? I that didn't go well, so I did it wrong. Mm-hmm. So we have this idea that if if there's discord, then that's not good. Whereas you know, discord sometimes needs to happen. We get to have disagreements. We get to have hard conversations. We know for sure Jesus didn't avoid those, mm-hmm. right? He had mercy on the ones that were needing mercy, but he was very direct and strong with when he needed to be strong. So codependents get to add that to their mm-hmm. life. They get yeah. to add that value. If, if I may take a slight rabbit trail here, Todd, I want to go back to the kid that got thrown into the closet that you talked about in an yeah. example earlier. Yeah. So that caused some woundedness and damage. Isn't it basically at some point that person needs to meet in person with a counselor like you and then take responsibility uh, for his life moving forward so he doesn't live in that sort of that level of dysfunction? Correct. Okay. And oftentimes when that person marries somebody that is more of a pleaser, the pleaser takes on that mess for them so they never have to address it themselves and then endures... endures what that person went through in their own upbringing. And so the pleasure is saying, <clears throat> you know, if I, I can I can take this on. I can do that. Mm-hmm. You know, God has called me to take that on even sometimes, right? Yeah. And, you know, we, in my opinion, we don't, you know, we want to do God's will, but sometimes we, we, we don't get it right or yeah. we, we miss, we just don't hear it or, you know, we're, we all have that dilemma. Yeah. Where, right? does, where does empathy and compassion come in? Right. So empathy is different than codependency. That's the beautiful part. Empathy is being, putting myself in the other person's shoes. And this is the freedom that codependents get to have is one thing that I help them tell them, tell codependents all the time, you get to put yourself in the other person's shoes with empathy. But you know, if you were in their shoes, you wouldn't mind them saying that to you, right? You wouldn't. Mm -hmm. And that's where codependents go, you're right. If if my spouse lovingly challenged me and said, gal, I was hurt by how you talked to me today. I'm just sad about that. You wouldn't short circuit and dysregulate and hang from the chandelier emotionally, you would say, well, thanks for letting me know, or that wasn't my intention. So codependents uh, get to re- realize that they're vulnerable to being controlled because they're not just having honest, gentle conversations, even if their spouse was locked in a closet. Because what's best for that spouse who was locked in the closet is to address that mess from their story so they don't breathe that into the next generation. Mm-hmm. So how important is it, Todd, for us as um, people to, I'm not saying, I'm not going to say this well, but to take responsibility for our attitudes towards comments that come our way? Yeah. I mean, I could say to Patrick Mahomes, boy, you really blew a pass Sunday. Yeah. It was really ugly. What were you thinking? Right. He might go, eh, all right, I blew one. You know? Right. So when when I get criticism or I get... Um, something that comes at me, don't, isn't it up to me to do some of my own self-regulation? Yeah. I, I'm not going to let that get me too down, right? 
we get not to be defined by that. Yeah. We get to be comfortable with people not seeing things our way. That's the beauty of, you know, in my field we call the high values being critical thinkers where we're, we're respectful, we're reflective, we're introspective, we're open-minded, we're mindful. <clears throat> so, because the dilemma, the biggest dilemma with people-pleasers is they, instead of being God-pleasers, they just want people to like them. And so they're seeking that validation from others when we're not always going to get it. Mm. And how can they be more comfortable with people disagreeing with us? Yeah. I bet you've got questions. Let us know what they are. 877-933-2484. Again, that's a text line only today. 877-933-2484. Todd Mullican is my guest in studio. You can go to his website, which is toddmullican.com. It's M-U-L-L-I-K-E-N. We're chatting a little bit about his book, his new book that just came out called Being Right Versus Being Liked. The Impact of Narcissism and Codependency on Couples and Families. Let me know what your questions are. We'll be right back. studio. We're talking about uh, codependency, which is kind of the second half of his book. We started talking about that last time he was in, being right versus being liked, the impact of narcissism and codependency on couples and families. We're chatting today a little bit about the codependency side of the book. And here's a question, Todd. Where does the thought come from that we are in control of the outcomes Mm -hmm. when we approach somebody with what we believe is our truth? Oh, well, it's usually somebody that's more typically a pleaser, codependent type that is, you know, gently or significantly ruminating on this needs to go well. And if it doesn't go well, that means my approach was wrong. Right. Right. (laughs) And isn't that what happened most of the time? It does, (laughs) especially if we're with somebody that's maybe a little bit more direct. and, And most people, when they feel like the other person, like... I would say speak without offending and listen without defending. Mm-hmm. So they love the best you and I can do is just lead out with not intending to be offensive. So I always say, "Hey, when this happened yesterday, here here was here was my take on it. I'm really sad about it. Uh, how do you see it?" You know, so that we can we can do that in real time. And one of my antidotes for codependence is be inside out versus outside in. So codependents are very much like. You know, taking a temperature of the environment, how the person's doing, this is the right time to bring it up. Oh, it doesn't seem like a good, you know, back and forth. They kind mm-hmm. of struggle with that. And that now their outside environment is controlling what they decide to do and when to, when they do it. Boy, that's stressful. Right? So their body's going, what are you doing to me? So the inside out is instead, hey, you know, I am for the Holy Spirit. I'm for the Holy Spirit being my advocate. I'm being as authentic as I know how to be in Jesus. I'm just bringing that out into my world. And if my spouse or my kid or my parent or my mother-in-law or father-in-law goes a different direction than I intended, I, you know, I, I can't control that. And the best I can do is do one of my clarifying conversations. So if they go somewhere with it that we didn't intend, we can just say, hey, just to let you know, here's my intention and I'm for you. I love you. And this is my intention about why I brought this up. Mm-hmm. But but still, they might not receive it well. 
Yeah. What happens when something gets kind of blurted out at a time when you go, mm. oh, I just picked the worst time to bring this up? Yeah. You, you're giving someone a ride to the airport, and as they're getting out, you're going, hey, just so you know, I was really hurt by what you yes. said yesterday. Right. Great that's point. That's not fair, is it? No. Great point. But but I, that's that's when you, you can't hold it in anymore, so you blurt it out. So, good point. So, usually pleasers are overthinking, and, and that wouldn't be the time they would do it. Cause okay. They, okay, but what happens <laughs> after being 100 years of a pleaser, they kind of start blurty. Yeah. because their resentment bank's so loud, they just go, okay, right. I'm just bringing it. You know, I feel <laughs> it, I'm bringing it. I, didn't, I tried that in the first half, it didn't work, I'm just going to bring it all the time now. Yeah. So that's what the big thing for pleasers to work on is just don't overthink it, just bring it out. And sure, you know, but, you know, the pleaser is already doing enough thinking. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They're already being kind of easily controlled because they're overthinking when to bring stuff up or not bring stuff up. And so does that make sense? So like when I do a parenting seminar, if a parent comes up to me afterwards, hey, you know, I really hope I'm a good parent. I, oh, I wonder if I am. They probably are, right, because they're asking the question. So I think when pleasers are going, well, I just don't know when to bring it up, and if I try this, I mean, eh, they're overthinking it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So they're probably not going to be the one to do it be a last-minute Larry or last-minute Lorraine just to dump something on somebody. Okay. They're probably going to be more apt to just avoid that conversation. Yeah. But is it wise to create a, a safe space, a safe environment, where if you go, let's walk down to the Dairy Queen, and every time that happens, you get, you know, an earful. You go, I don't want to go to the Dairy Queen anymore. <laughs> right. So that's why I'm more of a believer in, in yes, in real time, just the freedom for the pleaser is just being honest. That's all I do the rest of their lives is just be honest. And in real time, don't overthink it because you're not going to be blurty. You're not going to come after them with a velvet hammer and just pound on them emotionally. You're not. You're, you're probably going to do it very as best as you can. Mm-hmm. And that needs to be good enough. So I think pleasers tend to overthink when to do it. And as the question asked so beautifully, like, well, I hope I did that right or... But they tend to think if it didn't go well, like I remember playing tennis, this came came to me, I remember playing tennis with a buddy of mine a long, long time ago. Did you win? What's, no, he no, he was really good. Right, I'm not sure I want to hear the rest play, of the story player. then. So we were playing and uh, I haven't seen this person, they moved away, so I haven't seen him for 15 plus years. But we are playing and the cell phone rang and it was his spouse and then we had to stop playing tennis because his spouse said, hey, I need you folks to stop playing tennis. Uh, our son's going to be riding his bike to, to, to uh, watch you guys play, so I want you to call me when our son gets there so I know our son's okay. And that's what my friend told me his spouse said. Now, he told me that after he had hung up with his spouse and he was just kind of dejected. I said, because I didn't know the family at all. I said, mm-hmm. what are you dejected about? He said, well, my son is 15 and he lives a block away. He's okay. I don't... I'm not worried about him riding his bike at three in the afternoon in a very safe area for a block. Okay. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> and classic pleaser is going, and I, oh, I'm just so frustrated. I said, what are you frustrated about? And he said, you're a counselor, right? I said, oh yeah, I am. Sorry. I, sh- I shouldn't have said that. But he said, well, what do you think I should do? I said, well, what do you want to do? I said, well, I just want to let my spouse know that I love her. I'm for her, but I just, I'm not, I, I wasn't worried and I wanted to keep playing tennis. I wasn't worried. I, I would call you, but I wasn't worried about our son. And I think sometimes you're, the worry you're putting on our son is not helping. That's how he was feeling. Mm-hmm. 
So he said, what do you think I should do? I said, well, maybe the next time that comes up, just be as gentle as you were there and let her in and just let her know you're for her and you love her, but you just see that differently. So about a week later, he texts me and said, that was the worst advice you ever gave me. (laughs) (laughs) Because it didn't go well, right? But... You but, saw that coming, though, didn't you? <laughs> right, because he gets to have honest conversations. They get to find the 50-yard line together. His spouse would have had no idea that he was uh, ruminating about the level of worry she has and how that's being put on the family. And it's untreated anxiety that's being put on the family. And so that's a kind of a small example of about how a pleaser takes on the mess mm-hmm. and then starts leaking after 10 to 20 years into marriage about, oh, I'm just so tired. Well, they're less tired if 12 years ago on a Tuesday they have a disagreement about something and, you know, the person who has anxiety is overprotective or something. We just have a disagreement and we try to figure it out. And we still love each other. We're still for each other. But we're having a a, a difficult discussion. Todd, do you think that she wanted him to join in her worry? Yes. Or do you think she wanted Mm. him to sort of step up and take charge and calm her down? Mm, Great question. I was going to let you finish. That's okay. No, I... I, I, I thought your first part was right, but the second part, yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Hard to know. What do yeah, you think? Based I, well, on what you said. You know, I don't know what she needed. Yeah. yeah. I, I think we probably find that in most of those situations is personal, right, where something happened in that person's story that's making them have that level of anxiety. Or the truth is they've always had just, you know, quick to worry, you know, worst case scenario thinking, what if thinking anxiety is the most common mental health disorder in the world, about 28% lifetime prevalence, more common than depression, bipolar disorder, ADHD, PTSD is the most common. And people that have anxiety are always in the what if house, I call it. Well, what if this happens or what if that happens? Ah, uh, the what if house. Yeah, versus the what, what is What a terrible house, house that is. <laughs> <laughs> versus the what is truth house. The truth is their son would have been fine. Mm-hmm. And 99.9% of the time riding a bike a block at 15 years of age, they're going to be fine. Yeah. I've owned property in the what-if house. I've, I pay taxes A lot of rooms year. in that house. A lot of, <laughs> a lot of rooms. You yeah. always think that there's some, there's some advantage to weighing all the options and walking through each scenario. So if one of those scenarios happens, you've already kind of been there. Mm. So you think it's helping, but really what it's doing, it's wasting tremendous emotional capital. Uh, but, you know, our Lord knows that that's what we battle the most. Right? Mm-hmm. That's why more than anything else, he said, be not afraid, fear yeah, not. But he, know, he knows we worry, and yeah. it's common. That's just really tough. All right. If you have a question for us about codependency, or maybe you uh, have a question about narcissism, we'll continue that as well, because Todd's book covers both of those beautifully. Uh, being right versus being liked, the impact of narcissism and codependency on couples and families. Todd Mulliken is my guest. Go to toddmulliken.com to learn more about him and see his books and his good-looking picture. M-U-L-L-I-K-E-N. Be back in a minute.
Welcome back to the show. Todd Mulliken is my guest. He's a counselor, an author, a speaker, teacher. He does it all. He's written uh, several books. The one we're chatting about today has to do with uh, being right versus being liked. Being right versus being liked. And the impact of narcissism and codependency on couples and families. Uh, Todd, are you, are you ever a little of both, or are you are you either one or the other? Mm. Is that a movable yeah, personality uh, trait? Totally. I think, and I'm really glad you brought that up because I think it may be mentioned on a previous show that everything we're talking about is really on a continuum where somebody could have one pleaser trait and another person could have all 10 of them. Somebody that has one or two pleaser traits has more capacity probably to get on the other side of the street too and speak truth more often and be more direct. And then on the other side of the street, somebody could have one controlling trait or they could have all 10. So I think there's more flexibility if you're in, if you're mild on either side, if that makes sense. But if you're severe on either side, it's, it's harder to gain traction to go towards that murky middle. In other words, if you're severely controlling or, you know, in that narcissism area, usually you don't think there's anything wrong with yourself and it's everybody else's issue. If you're severely codependent, you just think you're always messing up and there's nothing I can do and I'm overwhelmed and I just, I can't do that. No, that, this, that wouldn't be good. Or, you know what I mean? So I think most people actually are in kind of that murky middle and can have some flexibility to go to both sides of the street. Mm-hmm. A listener joined in and said, after a disagreement, my wife will say how different things would have been if you would have said X. Mm. Um, so being a good listening husband, the next time the same su- subject comes up, I say X. Mm. And this just sets her off because um, this, is totally di- this is totally different or you never listen to me. It just, it seems she just takes the opposite view, whatever the issue. So there is drama. It's like she is dependent on drama. Okay. So we get to have a couple of conversations. We get to, you've heard me say, let each other in versus take things out on each other. So his responsibility is to let her in, maybe not in that moment, as both people probably need to go take an emotional shower and come back, pray it up, come back, but then to let her in and say, and it feels like I said X and then it still felt really like something was hurtful there and I'm really struggling. How do you see it? And then if the other person continues to be kind of uncoachable, then that's when we start having more conversations about, golly, I feel like I'm being authentic. What do you need here? And if they if they stay uncoachable, if they stay demanding, you know, controllers make demands, not requests. If it feels like he can't do anything right, then he starts to need to be more open and honest with her about, I'm starting to feel overwhelmed when this happens and I don't know what to do and I'm really scared and I'm really sad and stay with that a little bit. And sometimes that does it. Sometimes that gives the other person's eyes to see. That doesn't do it. Then we're probably more in a severe situation where the person's going through something significant in their life or they have an untreated mental health issue. Then we have to start addressing that. So Mm -hmm. none of that's easy. So, but what you're staying with is honesty and you're owning your own side of the street. That's the other thing I think is real. What I've noticed most with couples, most of the couples I see that do most of the changing together in a good way is when both people are owning their own part and owning their side of the street. Meaning, he says, gal, I feel like I'm 
you know, responding and in a way that's what you're needing, something's going wrong here and I'm just feeling overwhelmed. She would say, instead of kind of telling him what he's not, she needs to be able to say, I, yeah, I know what's going on for me. I guess I'm experiencing this and I'm not sure what's going on. That would be the the more healthy response. So both now are letting each other in versus taking it out on each other. Mm-hmm. And what happens to the pleasers, they take it out by just avoiding because it's not worth it. So he's tried, a, he's tried a couple of volleys that haven't worked. So maybe the tendency of the pleasers is to shut her down then and not do it again. Mm-hmm. And then the controller doesn't think there's anything wrong. They still are kind of being Mr. or Mrs. Flawfinder. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's not right. It's not it. It's not it. Versus having more empathy. You know, I say the, the pleaser needs to increase honesty. The controller needs to increase empathy. Mm-hmm. Todd, is it possible that there's a deep unresolved wound which can create the drama? So every time I hear something, I just want to go to war, or I just want to say that's not right. I know this is maybe what you're, what you just said, Mister and Missus Flawfinder, but maybe there's something that's just deep, deeply wounding that's not resolved. Right. Most. How do you address that then? That's really hard. I okay. mean, the best, the best we can do is say, I'm just overwhelmed. I don't know what to do. I, I wish we can get help together, and I, I want to do that because I'm concerned about us. I don't know where we're at, and more often than not, there is a deep wound there. Now, I've seen the wound cleaned up in different ways. It's, you know, it's done through prayer. It's done through ongoing good counsel. It's done through all of those. And then the person working on their side of the street and growing with integrity and honesty and awareness of that. So they're not defined by the past trauma, but learning from it. But again, I would say not all of that is one size fits all. Mm -hmm. Some could be, you know, somebody that's always kind of gotten their way and now they're just keeping to get their way. So it's not always a deep wound. But oftentimes you see it, but it's not always that. Yeah. I'm just trying to figure out the drama element. If there's yeah. a lot of drama and it's an, always an ongoing drama, and why would I want to bring something up that's going to create drama? Right. At a certain point, then you stop telling your truth because you don't want the drama. Correct. And then are you a codependent person? Yeah. I mean, at some level, because now you're defined by the drama versus, hey, I'm not okay with the drama and the drama's got to stop. And mm. so that this is where the codependent starts to have to get more strong and more assertive and start you know, getting, hey, I'm finding myself, when we're done with the conversation, hon, I'm finding myself building resentment. I'm not okay with that. And we got to start addressing this mess. And so when the codependent stays in there, in fact, you know, in most situations, I haven't seen that controller do much work unless the codependent really starts to gain traction and become more assertive. That's Mm -hmm. most of the times that you see the you know, the direct person who's got that deep wound and doesn't mean passive people don't have deep wounds. They do too, you know. Right. We all can have deep wounds. But yeah, so when the, it's just important that the codependent, the four antidotes I give them, Bill, is be truthful, set boundaries, and you set boundaries by having honest conversations. And then if you need to, you have some emotional separation until you get help and you, you start insisting eventually you get help. Um, then I talk about releasing resentments too, because if the controlling spouse starts to work on their side of the street, sometimes it's too little too late because the pleaser has built up so much resentment. So I work with that a lot mm-hmm. where the controller finally is seeing the light, you know, God has touched them. They have something that happens in their life where one of the kids finally says to them, this is so hard, dad or mom, when you're like this, you know, the kid's 20 and they're finally bringing it up. Um, the codependent spouse has been avoiding it a mess her whole their whole life. And something will shake that and help the person move from Saul to Paul, hopefully. Yeah. Another listener uh, 
asked how much of these personality traits you are discussing are genetic and to what extent are they predispositions versus learned oh, behavior? Oh, yay. That's so perfect. Maybe what a great question. question. So development listeners. typically is a mix of our genetic markers as well as our environmental situation. Now, we also believe in what we call epigenetics where you're, you know, typically we believe that the genetic markers we have, you know, the, the, if you will, how God has wired us in his image have been set in there from the previous generations. And so whoop, that's part of our DNA. Some people are... You know, you're just born with impulsivity, compulsivity, kind of blurty, kind of avoid. Some people never want to go in the pool at age three. Some people go, let's just jump in the pool, right? I mean, right out of the womb. Mm-hmm. You notice some differences in temperament, right? But then we also have our experiences that we have, and that that affects us. So we usually believe that our genetics affects our environmental choices. But now we also believe that the the environmental situations you and I go through can affect our brain hardware. So we're learning more and more about trauma and its impact on the brain. So to answer that person's question, it's a good mix of both. It's so, it's genetic markers. Yeah, so some people, Bill, are easily startled under stress. And some people are even keel under stress. And so the easily startled person needs to learn how to regulate that engine and realize, hey, when I'm easily startled, I'm just kind of, I'm on the top of Anger Mountain too quick. I've got I've to create a safer place when I'm disagreeing. And then the person that's even keel has got to realize, hey, you know, your marriage is on fire right now. I mean, your marriage is in crisis, so uh, step up. You know, so the even keel person has to step up more. So they could have those genetic markers in there right away, and that can create a pattern that's either healthy or unhealthy. Mm -hmm. Another question, Todd, this could be broad, but any help in talking about or communicating some of the things that fall into this conversation that affected a family that ended in divorce, concerns with seeing similar patterns in young adults in the family. I don't want to bring it up and cause hurt or misunderstanding. Mm. Patterns such as hiding, stuffing issues, and codependent tendencies. Well, that's, I love the spirit of how they're asking. Though, oh, it's right? beautiful, isn't it? Yeah, so again, I think we've got grace upon grace with the lead out. I think the lead out's so important, right? We're not coming with an interrogation. We're coming with an interaction. So... We're, you know, if we feel like, okay, it makes sense to do it, we just want to say, this is a, you know, I've, so I always say it's good to lead out from our own humility first. So if I've been through this divorce process and I see one of my adult kids kind of having those same patterns, I want to let them in and say, hey, you know, I recognize what you're going through a little bit. I've gone through that myself, not putting our ex-spouse under the bus, but just what we're dealing with. Uh, and I want to let you in about what I'm seeing, but how do you see it? What are your thoughts? You know what I mean? So... The best thing to do is try to create a, a, a dialogue versus a monologue. Mm-hmm. And then if we feel like the other person was hurt by it, the best we can do is just clarify. My intention is just to be helpful. And and you usually notice, Bill, like that person who's wondering and wondering and wondering probably doesn't do that every five minutes, right? And in other words, they don't bring up that stuff all the time. No, no, right. Right. So it's probably going to land reasonably well because they're not the person to do that, whereas Mr. and Mrs. Flawfinder are bringing that stuff up every five minutes. Another flaw, another flaw, another flaw, interrogation, interrogation, interrogation. So the codependent is kind of taking that on and going, oh, I see these patterns again. And and I think it's okay to just observe that and yeah. let the other person in. What's happened to Mr. and Mrs. Flawfinder? How did they get there? So we notice generally, you know, either the entitlement upbringing where I'm always right 
and it was never my fault. It was the coach's fault. It was the pastor's fault. It was the teacher's fault. It was somebody else's fault versus, no, I made a mistake or I wasn't good enough to make the choir. Welcome to life. Mm -hmm. So we were entitled. And so now we bring that entitlement into our relationship and we are right and people have flaws and I'm here to tell you what your flaws are. Or we were, had a lot of dominance from a, a dominant parent that always flaw finded us and now it's our turn to, we were bullied, now we're bullying. So I've usually seen one of those two extremes is what creates the flaw finder. The third one, real quick, because we talk about anxiety. Mm-hmm. You know, anxiety, I, I help a lot of folks with anxiety. It's probably the secondary uh, part of my practice besides couples is anxiety disorders. And anxiety either shows up with somebody who, with their anxiety, their fear, they control the situation out of fear, or they just avoid the situation because it's too scary, it's too hard. So it brings kind of that fight or flight reaction. So the fighters with anxiety, they're always worried and perfectionistic, are always finding flaws in everything of everybody else because they're living in that fear and that restlessness and that irritability and that agitation. They're not calming themselves down enough. They're not resting and trying to meditate on Jesus and trying to recognize what they're for with others versus what they're against. They're just living in that fear and that irritability. So sometimes people that have anxiety it can show itself up with control. Mm-hmm. Todd Mullikins in studio. We're going to take a little break. Let us know what questions you have. We're chatting about being right versus being liked. Are you a person that needs to be right, or are you a person that wants to be liked? It's an impact of narcissism and codependency, and you may know where you fall in that category. You can ask a question. I promise you can remain anonymous. Uh, So the number is 877-933-2484. I'll ask the question on your behalf and keep you nice and anonymous, unless you don't care. Again, that number is 877-933-2484. Microphone on. It's Todd and Rebecca are talking. Sorry, Bill. <laughs> I messed up on that. That's okay. Are you okay? Oh, I'm totally okay. All right. Yeah, Todd's such a great resource that everybody wants uh, to ask questions. And, uh, and if I you... have lots of questions. I know you do. <laughs> and I love your questions. So keep asking, Rebecca. If you have any more, let us know. Sure. Um, <laughs> well, one of the things I, I've been thinking about, and that's what Todd and that's what made us late to come back. Right, actually, Bill, was uh, I'm Todd. Going, and, I got a job to do over here. <laughs> doing a radio show. <laughs> Forgot about that. Um, Paul, uh, that uh, Todd had mentioned the the drive to control and how that can be mixed up with fear and all of those things. That if you're worried about what other people will think and it stops you from doing what you should do or from telling mm. the truth, that you're being controlled by their response and what we should be controlled by is the Holy Spirit Mm -hmm. in us and so I don't want to to settle for anything less Mm -hmm. than God's guidance and and leading in my life so how can I move from those habits of adjusting my behavior around other people's what I perceive their response might be to truly being led by God by God's presence in my interactions with them and and still not take it to another extreme but to be loving in those interactions, but to be guided by God and nobody else. Whew. Yeah. 
go. That is so great. So two strategies that I think are helpful. One is a proactive strategy, and that is when you and I are having our devotional time, our prayer time, we're visualizing with Jesus, you know, he's with us in those situations. And how are we recognizing that ahead of time, you know, the comfort of the Holy Spirit? So we're visualizing that. Does that make sense? We're just seeing that truth ahead of time when we're mm-hmm. out of that stressful situation. We're just visualizing that and we're, we're practicing that regularly because we get to. We get to do that. You know, we get to practice visualizing that in Jesus and just resting in that. Then the second thing is to recognize that when I'm hurt or you're hurt or Bill's hurt in those moments, you know, the hurt mind gets pretty rigid and stuck and so overly self-protective and needs to be right or just wants to be liked. And so if we can just take a breath, you know, just for a moment and know we're going to try to move from our hurt mind to our wise mind and have the Holy Spirit kind of guide us with his advocacy, uh, that's also something we know we get to do and not from a place of perfection, like I got to do this perfect, but, but that we get to just take that moment, that breath just that slowing down, because when we're in that moment, the hurt mind usually trumps the wise mind. And we all have varieties of hurt minds, right, or mm-hmm. trauma minds for some of us. But sometimes it's just the hurt mind where we get we get scared a lot of times. Mm-hmm. And it's normal. So I thought Re- Rebecca's uh, insights are fabulous there. As usual. Yep. So Todd, uh, a listener says, I am the fault finder. I don't want to be that guy. How do I change my ways? Wow, love that. How do I change my ways? Well... Five to one is a good behavioral strategy to start. And that's five is, to one. Five to one means I'm going to share, I'm going to think of five things that are affirmations towards this person, whoever this person thinks they're flaw finding. I'm mm-hmm. going to look at what I'm for with them versus what I'm against. Flaw finders look at what's wrong versus what's right. They look at what they're against versus what they're for. So I'm going to do five, I'm going to notice five things that I'm for with that person. I'm going to actually affirm them because I get to, not because I should or I have to because I get to do that in Christ. And then the one thing that I'm remembering that's a flaw, I'm going to bring that with more gentleness versus an interrogation. That's not a kitchen list, is it? You you don't sit there and go, let me tell you five things I think are really great about you. Because that's going to feel manipulative, right? Right. Well, and, you know, if it lands wrong, that's, you know, we're starting, right? Okay. We're starting as baby steps. So what we're doing is we're moving from our flaw finding to more of what we're for. Because flaw finders typically, for most of them, unless they're really, really entitled and narcissistic, they're really hard on themselves too. They're very perfectionistic on themselves. So I know this sounds kind of backwards, but, you know, we get to start viewing ourselves as God views us. We get, you know, like Paul saying from prison, he doesn't say, make sure you remember how much of an idiot you are and how many struggles you got last time I checked. Mm Mm-hmm. So from prison, he's saying, you know, think about whatever is true, noble, of excellent, of praise. Think on those things, and the God of peace will be with you. And the secret of life is being content. So the other thing a flaw finder can do is make sure they are content with who they are in Christ so that their contentment that they have within them can have them more, have more of a contented view of others. Mm-hmm. So move with what you're for versus what you're against. Try a five to one. Get going, even if it feels kind of... It's not fake it till you make it, Bill, but a little bit, a little bit of... It's going to feel awkward, right? It is. It's just yeah. not going to be, you know, so we're not moving mountains in a day. Most of the time, transformation happens over years, not overnight. Mm-hmm. So we get to take it small baby steps. So, yeah, once in a while, we get a solid Paul moment. But most of the time, with most generational patterns you see in scriptures, it's over time, not overnight. Yeah. So I just right. invite, I'm, I love the fact the flaw finder is saying that about themselves. Yay. What right. A great, what a great step. Right. Another question came in. How can I be... A loving, respectful daughter and still keep my kids away 
from my parents when the situation is very bad. Wow, I think, you know, this person's talking about a great boundary where they get to have, first of all, my three boundaries for codependence are first have an honest conversation, and I'm sure it won't go well if the parents aren't open or coachable, but they need to have an honest conversation first. Hey, here's what I'm battling. I want to honor you folks, but I'm not okay with my kids being around this kind of situation, and I'm letting you in on that, and I don't mean to put that on you, but I want to be vulnerable and let you in, and I love you, I love you folks, but this is what I'm feeling, so this is where I'm at. Boom. First step, honest conversation. Now, most of the time, it doesn't go well. It's not received well. I will pray for you, or I can't believe you feel that way about us, or, you know, why aren't you honoring us uh, versus, you know, an honorable parent will say, thank you for letting me know that. I wasn't aware I had those problems, you know. And so for me as a daughter of, or, a, you know, a father of three daughters, I mean, I always want them to say, hey, what can I do better? You know, they're 30, 28, and 26, so I mess up all the time. I, I want to know what I can do better. So that's the... That's certainly what I would be asking her to do is have an honest conversation. But I don't think she's being dishonoring. Honoring doesn't mean acquiescence. You know, uh, honoring means being respectful. But I think she's being respectful by letting them know about what they're, what she's feeling. And I think a respectful parent would understand that. And they probably won't understand it because they probably struggle themselves. Mm-hmm. But she is creating a new generational pattern there of being appropriate, in my opinion. Some people would view that as disrespect, but I have found usually the parents that view that as disrespect are, p- are parents that are demanding respect versus being respectful. Mm. Great answer. So is low self-esteem and people-pleasing, are they kissing cousins? Often. Mm-hmm. Yeah, more often than not, because we would even say that the narcissist, a lot of people think narcissists love themselves, you know. And, you know, if, I think if you if you like who you are, you're not... You know, you're not going to be as demanding. You're not going to always have to be right because you know you're loved by God and you're, point. you're thankful for who you are. So I think sometimes we get that messed up. But, yeah, I think in general, um, so the good news for the codependents, they get to increase. I, one of the seven things I say codependents do is they don't know themselves well. They know others really well, <laughs> okay, but they mm-hmm. don't know their own needs and that they just get to remember they are loved and acknowledged and approved by God and just to rest in that. So that gains, help them gain, gain more traction by not being defined by others' reactions. Mm-hmm. Will poor boundaries always lead to trouble? <laughs> what a great question. I'm just, I'm yeah, just asking. I, I think so. Okay. I think, yeah. And poor boundaries can be anything where there's too, too strong of a boundary or there isn't any boundaries. You know, they're, so healthy boundaries are meant to be a marker around us and meant to be something that helps us operate more out of a clear mind versus a hurt mind. We're... We're more clear because that boundary helps us have that marker around us that gives us that moment, that breath I was telling you about, just that moment to rest in that truth. Mm-hmm. So poor boundaries are uh, usually a lead to a continuation of dysfunction. Do people who struggle with codependency, are they usually full of obsessions? Mm-hmm. They, they spend a lot of time thinking about that other person and obsessing about it and... Well, mm-hmm. what we would say about anxiety and depression is there's rumination. Like the, more than the last 10 years of research is showing that rumination is a really crippling thing. So if we're ruminating about something just on that hamster wheel bill and mm-hmm. roll and roll and roll, that's going to make us more vulnerable to really question self, um, you know, lose our own sense of who we are in Christ. It's going to make us more vulnerable to get depressed and lose energy. So I would say for sure... Um, 
there is a, a vulnerability to obsession. Now, it's not in the same markers as OCD. That's different types of obsessions, really. Um, but the rumination obsession is, I think, more what that person's talking about, and that can make you vulnerable. Mm-hmm. So, so it's kind of, I'm sorry, I was just going to say, it's kind of like, hey, I just spent five minutes thinking about that. Uh, that's enough. Okay, now I, the best thing I can do now is, you know, move to my house of truth and start remembering what is true and what I'm for and what I'm for with my next choice. But what we tend to do is stay in the house of fear and ruminate there. And boy, like you mentioned, so well, there's a lot of rooms in that house. So we know, woo, we know how to go all throughout that house versus, okay, you know. And rent is expensive. In that that's house. right. So that's enough time there. I need to go over to my house of truth and remember what is there. Mm-hmm. For those of you who would like to grab a copy of Todd's book, you can pick it up, I'm sure, on Amazon, can't you, Todd? You know, my website's the best website's place to the get best it. Place, yeah. Yep, just, yeah. And they get it out right away. Yeah, so. that's awesome. Todd Mulliken, T O D D M U L L. I-K-E-N dot com. That's the website. And Todd, thanks for coming in. It's Thank always, you so always much, fun Bill. to talk. Really it's really a great it. time, and I know our listeners love you, and uh, you did a great job today. Thank, Thank you. Thank you so much. Yep. That is all the show we have for today, which means I'm already looking forward to tomorrow. It's going to be a great day tomorrow. Thank you for spending time with me. I, I'm, I certainly hope that you've learned something today. You've grown in your faith, and you've been encouraged in your walk with the Lord. I hope you have a great night, and if you heard something um, that you want to pass on to a friend, you can just always go to the, the website, myfaithradio.com, and you can email or text a link to a show right from there and let a friend know that you were thinking of them and you want them to listen to this because that's a great way to spread the good news. Have a great night, everyone. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks God for bless. listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at myfaithradio.com. <laughs>